All right, um, welcome back. Uh, this is our second uh, Facebook Live event. Uh, my name is Miles Riley. I'm the director of uh, marketing and fundraising for community mental health care. Uh, and today, again, joined with uh, Gwen Malkowit. Uh She's the clinical director of behavioral health services at community mental health care. Um, this episode, we're going to be talking about um, severe and persistent mental illnesses. Um, it's shortened to SPMIs. Uh, and we'll get a little bit more into what that means. Uh, we'll uh, talk about uh, what diagnoses look like, uh, what treatment options look like, what the life of people uh, or individuals who may be um, experiencing these, um, these conditions, uh, what that looks like in the daily life. Uh, we'll tackle a lot of questions. Um, and in the meantime, uh, we are live and we can see uh, questions that are posted to the feed. So uh, feel free to ask us questions as we're going along here. So um, before we get started, uh, I just want to put this at the top. Um, our uh, crisis intervention, our 24-hour crisis uh, hotline uh, for Tuscross County is 330-343-1811. And for Carroll County, it's 330-627-5240. Um, there's also a, a nation uh, or national crisis text line, uh, which is 741741. If you text that number, uh, somebody will be immediately in contact with you. Uh, if you're in a, uh, a crisis situation. So um, just wanted to get that in there. We'll say it again at the end of the, um, the broadcast here, but then uh, those numbers can also be found at the bottom of the screen. Um, so we're going to jump into SPMIs. Uh, Gwen, do you want to start off by talking or defining what those are? Sure. Um, so severe and persistent uh, mental illnesses are uh, kind of differentiated uh, from um, your, your, your typical uh, mental uh, health uh, diagnoses by their severity uh, and their chronicity. So they're on the ongoing nature of those. Um, so, you know, it, any mental uh, illness, any diagnosis has the capacity to be severe. Um, you know, some diagnoses are perhaps more likely to have severe uh, symptoms and severe presentations. Um, but it, we, we differentiate SPMIs because uh, there are so many unique challenges that face this population um, and uh, the disabling nature of, of some of these uh, some of these conditions really uh, requires us to look at them in, in kind of a special light. Well, I want to give some numbers out here. Um, SPMIs and or severe and persistent mental illnesses, just want to make sure that uh, people understand what that uh, acronym is um, some national statistics here. Uh, about 19% of U.S. adults experience mental illness. Um, that equates to about 47.6 million people in the U.S. or one in five, one out of five adults. Uh, to give that some context, uh, that's eight million more people than the total population of California. We're talking about a large number of people. Yes. Um, now with SPMIs, uh, we're looking at four. Per, 4.6% of U.S. adults uh, who experience those. Uh, and that number comes to about 11.4 million people. And that's about the population of Ohio. Yeah. That really um, puts it into glaring context. Yeah. Right. So um, there's a good chance that, that uh, you or, or, or somebody that you are very close with is dealing with this or experiencing this, um, whether it's one of their loved ones, a children or a child or, or a family member. Uh, there's a high likelihood that you are in contact this, with this and you may not even know. Yeah, right. Um, 
Well, and, you know, that that 4.6% of individuals uh, experiencing a severe or persistent mental illness, that's one in 25 adults. And we all know more than 25 people. Right. So, you know, we, we I think we want to think that these are uh, extremely rare and, and uncommon uh, conditions, and, and they're not. Chances are uh, someone very close to you uh, has or is or will uh, experience a severe mental illness. So just a, and I know this isn't a comprehensive list, but just name some common uh, diagnoses that you see in this category. Um, so probably uh, at the top of that list uh, would be schizophrenia, um, which can be uh, a very uh, a very severe and, and, and very impairing diagnosis. Um, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, um, you know, severe depression, uh, anxiety. Um, but like I, I said, you know, any mental illness really has the capacity uh, to be, to be severe. So, you know, it, obviously diagnoses are important. You know, it, it helps us decide a course of treatment. It, uh, it, it gives us an idea of what to expect, but a person is not their illness. Uh, I could be diagnosed with schizophrenia. So could you, but our presentation, our symptoms, how we handle that, the severity, uh, could be vastly different from one to the other. Uh, it's because there's literally hundreds of variables that go into what makes my experience with the same diagnosis different than yours. So it could be uh, things like the level of support I have versus what you have, um, education and awareness, my willingness to seek treatment, um, you know, cultural uh, elements might be uh, at play barriers to treatment. Do I have insurance? Do I have a car? Can I get to treatment? Um, are there other illnesses present, whether it's medical or maybe there's an addiction going on? So, um, and sometimes there is no rhyme, no reason to it. Right. Um, and I think out of the list that you've provided, probably the most uh, well-known and, and maybe most experienced or, or common would be depression, which I think is a good touchstone to kind of explain um, the spectrum uh, that 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 a person can experience mm -hmm. in that one particular diagnosis. So uh, you can have severe depression. You can also have uh, temporary depression. You know, something that's right. like a, a grief or you know, yeah, loss of situational type um, depression. Yeah. And so what we're talking about here is more um, very severe, um, lifelong, chronic. Right, depression. right, right. Um, and, and when we say severe, you know, we're, we're talking about at, at what level does this impair your ability to function in your daily life? Um, you know, almost all of us have experienced depression or, or anxiety uh, or something like that at one point in our life. And most of us can still get up, go to school, go to work, parent, uh, interact, um, but when it reaches that severe level, um, that that ability to function uh, becomes severely impaired. Right. Um, so that doesn't happen to to all, thank God. But um, you know, there is always a lot of focus, I think, on depression and anxiety, and it makes sense because I think human nature is we're more empathetic, uh, more supportive, maybe, of things that we have a common shared experience with. So. Most of us can say, yeah, I've been depressed, I've been anxious, maybe not severely, but I know what that feels like. Right. Um, and it, part of the reason why I, I, I 
really am excited about talking about SPMI is because when we start thinking about like schizophrenia, I've been depressed, you've been anxious. How many of us have been psychotic? How many of us have been manic? How many of us have been hospitalized? Uh, How many of us have uh, been suicidal or attempted suicide? Then we get into, you know, an experience that most people can't quite imagine. Um, And when we can't imagine something and what feels that alien to us, um, I I think there's a a human nature, a tendency to shy away from it um, and even respond to it with some fear. Um, And and that's that's not helping these individuals. It's not helping uh, advocacy efforts to make sure that uh, these people are taken care of. So, you know, it's just important to shed light that just because you, you've never ex- experienced those things, uh, it's very real. Right. It's out there. There seems to be a common, um, amongst all the, the, the number of diagnoses that fall into this category, um, there seems to be a, a common age uh, range that these symptoms start to show or display. Not necessarily, but for the most part. Um, when do those typically start to show up? Um, you know, most of the most of the the major uh, mental illnesses, there really can be a, a, a wide range in that. One one of the exceptions, though, might be schizophrenia, um, and this is, I, I think, one of the saddest things about about this disorder, is that it's it's commonly uh, diagnosed. Symptoms generally usually start uh, appearing in late adolescence, early adulthood. So you think about that time in your life. That's when you're striking out on your own. That's when, uh, you know, you're just entering your stride. Uh, you got your whole life ahead of you. And, and that's the most common time for that, that disorder to strike. Um, so it, it's, uh, it, it can be devastating, uh, obviously, to the individual, devastating to families. And, and, you know, it, these are no-fault brain disorders is what, is what we call them. So uh, it doesn't it matter if you came from the best family on the planet, you grew up with money, you had every advantage. Um, these mental illnesses, they don't care. So, uh, you know, it can really just strike people down uh, in their prime. And, uh, you know, there's, there's always that, that feeling, I think, for families and, and those people diagnosed what did I do wrong? Didn't do anything wrong. It's 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 a horrible thing. But so, not everybody has that family unit, um, right. and unfortunately, sometimes uh, you know, the first encounter somebody has with a, a, a behavioral health professional, maybe through law law enforcement. Um, unfortunately, yeah. uh, and there's a lot of ways, a lot of path pathways to getting presented in front of a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we saw in the, the opioid epidemic and, and still seeing um, are people saying, I don't know who to call. I don't know where to go. I don't, I didn't know these resources were available. Um, and we spent, you know, as the opiate task force and anti-drug coalition and, and all the agencies in the area too, put a lot of our efforts into making sure that people knew where to call. Mm-hmm. Um, here we have something that's, that's just as prevalent, not as talked about, um, you know, it's not a hot news item. Um, so people are probably asking those questions too. Right. So what's the answer to that? Who do I call? What resources are available? Well, you gave a great one at the beginning uh, of our chat here, that the crisis hotline. It's a 24-hour resource. 
Um, but it, there really isn't any wrong person to, to contact. The, the only wrong person is no is contacting no one at all. So um, that could be calling uh, calling us, calling a mental health agency. Um, it could be a, a family doctor, a family practitioner. Uh, most professionals will have the ability to guide that person to the right resource. Um, it's just critical that there is some reaching out. One of the, the things that uh, is a challenge um, for individuals uh, with severe and persistent mental illness is there's oftentimes a lack of insight. Um, so what may appear to be very frightening and very severe as a loved one or family member uh, the individual actually experiencing it may not have the ability to recognize that something is as wrong as it is. Um, so we get a, a lot of calls on our hotline um, from family and friends who are, are watching this, this, this terrible thing happen with a loved one and they don't know what to do. And um, so, you know, you, sometimes you gotta, you gotta take that, uh, take that in hand if, if that individual doesn't have the insight or the awareness enough to reach out for help on their own. Yeah. I think that's a good point to point the, I suppose the nomenclature of crisis hotline maybe isn't as accurate uh, as yeah. it could be. It's a resource line as well. Right. Um, so information resource, right. Warm line. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're a parent or, or a concerned loved one uh, having questions or in the middle of the night, you have questions that number is available. Um, even if you just, need to talk or figure out what, right. what's going on and what my next step is. That doesn't mean that you need to bring anybody in. That doesn't mean that we're going straight to hospitalization or anything like that. It's, it can just be, I'm experiencing this and I don't know what to do. What, what, what's my next step? Yeah. You know, there was a, a saying I heard uh, a long time ago is that mental illness isn't a casserole illness. Um, you know, if, if I have a loved one that's diagnosed with cancer, uh, everyone rallies around me. They throw a spaghetti dinner. Uh, you know, they bring me casseroles. They offer me support. Um, do we get that same level of, of community uh, engagement if my child is diagnosed with schizophrenia? Right. Not usually. So, you know, some of these people, I, I think they feel like they're out there on their own, um, afraid to share uh, and there's just not that 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 public rallying around individuals. There should be, and and that's where we want to get someday, uh, where these mental illnesses aren't treated any differently than than medical. Yeah, there was a, um, a you gave me a number here uh, that the average lifespan is up to twenty years shorter for individuals with SPMIs, yes. um, and it's a shocking number. And then you said actually this is an improvement from over the last 20 years or so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is you know, shaking the stigma a little bit, getting rid of that, uh, which we're continually working on, uh, but also more treatments available. Right. Um, right. So we'll use that as a tie into or lead into what treatment uh, locally, what treatment options are available. Um, there, there are various mental health organizations uh, in the area. Um, but I'll, I'll speak to what I know that we have at, at Community Mental Health Care. Uh, and CMH has, I think, really done uh, an excellent job in providing that entire circle of treatment because that's absolutely what you have to have when you want to effectively help people with severe and persistent mental illness. There, It's not just, okay, I got a psychiatrist. It's going to take more than that. Um, 
you know, our whole goal is to allow these people as good a quality of life as, as they, they can have, allow them to live independently in their communities. And to do that, uh, you got to have uh, wraparound services. So psychiatry, most of these mental illnesses, uh, medication is, is going to be a, a very important component. Um, counseling, case management, uh, which is a community-based service, very intensive, um, out there where these individuals live, uh, where they, they shop, where they bank, um, crisis services, uh, you know, can often be a, a good interim support for individuals. So it, it's, it's really making sure that that whole picture, that that individual is, is as surrounded as they can be with the services and the support that they need when they need it. Plus, <clears throat> on top of that, and again, just speaking to what we do and how we provide services, uh, talking about the holistic approach uh, with the addition of primary care at, at Community Family Health Center, uh, which is a program of CMH, and uh, we also have dental services over there as well. Um, and all of that is, is part of uh, yeah. that wraparound. And that's an excellent well. point because that's a, a huge piece of what goes into that 20 year shorter lifespan, which is a horrifying statistic every time I see it. Um, but yeah, because, you know, we can't, we can't forget that mind and body, I mean, you can't separate the two. Uh, so, you know, if, if there's not good access to, to medical care uh, for these individuals, uh, yeah, I mean, that you can't forget one. And, and that's exactly why, you know, we focus on that holistic approach and having that one-stop shop. for people. Uh, we were talking the other day about this and, and trying to form uh, the conversation um, and, and where we wanted to take it. Uh, and one of the things you said was that these diagnoses aren't a life sentence in the fact that it doesn't mean if you have a severe and persistent mental illness that, um, that you can't function in the world independently, um, right. that you, you know, and it depends on, on, on the circumstances, of, of course, and the, uh, and, the, and the support yeah. system they have at home and things like that. Right. Um, so all those things, um, I don't know much, but I can at least say that um, when, when folks come in uh, and meet with uh, a provider, whether it's a psychiatrist or counselor or, or just doing a, a diagnostic assessment, which is usually the first thing we do, uh, what we're trying to do is find out and pinpoint what the plan of action is. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's, what's the current state of the union uh, and what resources can we throw into the path, what, building the the pathway with these bricks of, of different programs that we have available right. for them to start moving down the path of, yeah. uh, of getting better and, and finding their place in the world. Right. Right. And, and that's a very critical piece of it, but the community, I mean, everyone out there, you know, can be a huge piece of helping individuals that, that live with uh, severe and persistent mental illness. It takes a community, you know, um, and it's it's another reason why I feel so passionate about about talking about this this population, because they do often live on the fringes of society. Um, most of them live on very little, if any, money at all, um, and uh, you know their their illnesses can be very challenging. So it's not uncommon to see that their friends and their families have have walked away. Um, so they can be very alone and very isolated. Um, and sometimes, you know, they, there will be some strange behaviors um, and it can look frightening to people. 
so people avoid them. Um, they're afraid of them. But the reality is, uh, despite what you may see in the media, uh, people that live with severe and persistent mental illness are far, far more likely to be the victim of violence than the perpetrator of violence. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, we, we all have to be, I think, uh, you know, aware and open our hearts a little bit and open our minds a little bit and be willing to um, not turn our back, but offer a hand. Right. And so when we say, you know, here on, on Facebook and you see somebody post a, a meme of some sort that says end the stigma, that's exactly what we're talking right. about. Right. Um, you know, that illness does not define the person. There's still somebody there. It's still a human being. Exactly. Uh, you know, respecting that, understanding, learning about the, the, the condition. Um, you find that the more educated people are about a certain thing, uh, the less judgment that they have, right. negative judgment that they have on that. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll share a little little story from the early years of, of my career um, when I was still a, a, a pretty green, young, new clinician. Um, I worked at an agency that uh, we worked almost primarily uh, with uh, adults with severe and persistent mental illness. Uh, and we had a gentleman uh, that was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia, um, and he was uh, had very severe symptoms, uh, not not completely controlled uh, by his medication, but he, he functioned fairly well. Um, but we were really all he had uh, at our agency. So he would come in every day uh, to our lobby and, and he'd get a cup of coffee and he'd sit there and he'd just watch the people walk by. Um, and he always had a kind word to say to everyone that walked by him, uh, whether it was just, hi, um, looking good today. Uh, and he, he really observed and noticed uh, like oh you're wearing that coat again I like that coat or you cut your hair hey you lost weight you know he just always had something positive and pleasant to say and it occurred to me that it, this is an individual that lives with uh, a, a mental illness so profound and severe um, you know he he had auditory hallucinations that were almost constant um, he lived in, in abject poverty. He had no one uh, except these providers at this agency. Um, he looked a little funny sometimes, and he would get made fun of, and people would cross the street to avoid him. His life, by anyone's definition, could have been considered hell. But he still could step outside himself enough to care about others um, and have a, a, a kind word for people. Um, I don't know if I would be that strong in right. that situation, if, if I just wouldn't be angry and, and why me? And, and, uh, but to keep having that hope every day. And, and so that, that, that's what I think really, uh, you know, caused me to, to have the, the passion that I have for this population. And, and I realized, you know, it's not just my pleasure to, to, to work and, and serve this population. It's, it's an honor, really. Um, People live with things that you or I couldn't possibly imagine. I want to go back to access to care um, and maybe some trigger words. Uh, talk about medication. Um, and that there seems to be a little stigma even around the idea of using medications. Um, you know, the, the behavior health science 
is, is sometimes one of deduction. Um, and I think people can come in, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out exactly what uh, is going on. And sometimes that takes some trial and error on trying to figure out medication. So a lot of people can come in and get very frustrated with that process. Right, right. Um, and, you know, even if people with, with anxiety and trying to manage anxiety, they can go through uh, a number of medications to figure out which one actually you know, yeah, yeah. doesn't make them more anxious, doesn't make them fall asleep in the middle of the afternoon. Um, you know, it's just a common thing that, that maybe more people would have uh, an understanding of. But uh, I think that scales to this conversation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that leads me to, you know, the fear of those medications in that process um, going to self-medication. Yeah. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about, um, the prevalence of, of what self-medication looks like and what the dangers of that are? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate fact, um, with this, with this population, uh, people with severe and persistent mental illness that you do see, um, higher rates of substance use, um, in this population, um, than others. Uh, and, and yeah, some of that is, is in, uh, an effort to, to self-medicate um, or to, you know, squash those symptoms down. Uh, you know, again, going back to it's hard to imagine um, if I were hearing voices every day, I, what, what wouldn't you do to make that stop? Um, and if we have stigma and fear surrounding uh, formal treatment, then people might uh, just reach out to substances at hand, which only makes uh, the condition worse, obviously. Um, so it, again, it, that's why we have to have this wraparound approach to treatment. Um, you know, a, a, an individual with schizophrenia may see their psychiatrist once a month. Um, so who's helping that individual between those appointments to make sure, hey, how are your medications going? Um, oh, you're having a problem with it? Well, let's let's get that addressed now instead of waiting 30 days. Right when things are out of control. Um, so access to treatment for these people, you know, needs to be uh, timely. It needs to be on their, on when they need it, not when, well, your appointment's not until, you know, three weeks from now. Right. Um, and, and you know, it, it's, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult to, you know, try to get rid of that, uh, that negative connotation to medication, but, you know, I always come back to if you were diagnosed as a diabetic, you wouldn't have, might not like it, but you wouldn't have a problem taking insulin, you know, and, and not every mental illness requires medication. I'm not saying that, but uh, some of these uh, more severe uh, diagnoses, they do. They absolutely do. So if you're looking, uh, and this isn't an absolute, but uh, symptoms can start to present in or adolescent, early adolescent to teens, mm-hmm. um, even early 20s. Um, so one of the observations, somebody who's close to them as a family member uh, or guardian who has close connection, that substance abuse could be... A part of that picture, part of, that part picture. of what you're seeing, right. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And this oftentimes is one of the, in, in some diagnoses, I guess, that's yeah. that's one of the main... Uh, red flags. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, that brings up another, another good point. It is not uncommon at all um, for individuals that we see as professionals for the first time, um, someone that's experiencing, um, you know, maybe symptoms of psychosis, schizophrenia, hallucinations, delusions. Um, 
parents noticed it. They, they got them to us, but then we find out that that individual had been experiencing it for some time and was hiding it um, out of fear, um, out of shame. Uh, and again, one of the nasty side effects of stigma. Uh, but that's not uncommon uh, that, that they, they, they hit it. And maybe, yeah, you know, they were covering it up with alcohol or drugs. And, and that's what, you know, the parents were seeing. But underlying, there were, there were other things going on. So. Uh, Gabrielle Brown uh, chimed in with a question. Uh, it's not a silly question. Um, she, she asked, this might be a silly question, but it's not. Um, does the SPMI classification cover any lifelong me- mental illnesses, regardless of what it is, or is it covering specific mental illnesses? Um, no, that, that's, that's a good question. Yeah. No, um, there isn't, uh, like uh, a list we have in a book someplace that, uh, these are all the diagnoses, uh, under that SPMI category. It's, it's all about that level of severity and functioning. So I can be diagnosed with anything, any mental health condition, um, but if it is severe and, and disabling and impairing to me and ongoing and persistent, then it, would, it could be considered an SPMI. But like I said earlier, you know, some diagnoses are more likely to have a severe presentation, um, but yeah, there's, there's not a a hard hard list of, of those diagnoses. Well, you've been claiming all week that you've you can speak forever about this. Um <laughs> and, me off already. <laughs> we uh no, not at all. Um I know that there are a lot of things that you want to get to. Um you know, what are we not what are we not mentioning? What uh, you know I I think you did a good job moving me along. So. Yeah well <laughs> it's good for you. The, the problem with or the the, the I guess the, the challenge with this is that it is such a broad category. It is. is. And, and we even discussed maybe diving into some of these, uh, individually and future broadcasts. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. You know, if anyone is, is listening and and there's a particular diagnosis that, you know, you would like to know more about, um, yeah, we would certainly love to speak on that or, or uh, any, uh, any more specific topics. Yeah. And you don't have to wait for us to, to jump on here and, and talk about it. Um, you can call us again. Sure. The crisis line is out there. You can call our main number, which is listed um, uh, on the banner below. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast version, which we now have the audio or an audio version of this um, out there, and we'll post a link to that uh, in after the show here. Uh, but our main number is 330-343-6631. Uh, you can call that number and uh, uh, we'll take care of you and shelf you to the right places. Absolutely. Um, I think i Unless you have anything else to add. Um, I don't believe so. So I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, I'm going to see if we have any questions. Uh, okay, Dan. Um, I know Dan. Uh, Dan asks, what would you say to someone who is concerned with a reoccurring suicidal ideation? Get help. Yeah. Get help. It's, well, yeah, and we can go back to your list that you sent me here. Um, suicide being the second leading cause of death among uh people aged 10 to 34 in the U S. Um, and then you just go into some of these other ones that are just really hard to even comprehend 7.4% of youth in juvenile justice systems have a diagnosis or a diagnosed mental illness. Um, 37% of adults incarcerated in the state and federal prison systems have a diagnosed mental illness. 
Uh, 20% of people experience homelessness. Experiencing homelessness in the U.S. have a serious mental health condition. Um, those are some pretty striking numbers. Yeah. Um, and again, it's it's one of those things that we, you know, if you see something uh, or if you if you are questioning something about yourself or your loved one, if you're already questioning that, we say it over and over again. If you think that you need to talk to somebody, you probably should go probably talk to somebody. Do. Yeah. Um, and you know, if to, to say a little more to, to Dan, I didn't mean to be glib about that. Get help, but I mean that really is. Uh, the most important thing they can do. But if, if you're the friend or if you're the loved one of, of someone that's uh, expressing that, um, you know, suicidal thoughts, uh, take them seriously. Listen. Uh, don't try to talk them out of it. Don't say, oh, you know, you're, you're fine. Take it seriously. Listen and be that, that helping hand uh, that they need to get to the help uh, that they need. I that's a hard, hard step for people to take alone. So. And, uh, we're kind of digressing into a slightly different topic, but I think it ties in uh, ultimately. Um, you know, suicide is is presents its way in various forms: uh, self harm, um, drug use, and I know right now um, in the state of Ohio, we're seeing uh, another increase. We have, we're on a on a a decline of overdose deaths from opiates. Um, we're starting to see that number rise quite a bit with the um, with the COVID nineteen. Uh, lockdowns and and people being out of work and staying home, not being able to access group uh, therapies or or continue their treatment, which we've always been offering those services, but getting to those services has become more difficult. Um, You know, an overdose death or somebody who's using uh, drugs to cope with uh, what could be an SPMI or what could be just, you know, a, a a moment of grief or, or a down and out situation um, is also another situation is get help intervene. Uh, Don't be scared to hurt their feelings. Don't be scared to tell them that you're there to help. There's always somebody there to help. We have a 24 hour hotline. There's a national hotline as well. Um, There's the text line. uh, 741741. There are a million people right now ready to talk to you. Right. Uh, and help you through that situation. And help help be that voice against stigma because that, you know, there can be a, a million and one resources in crisis line numbers, but if people are still too embarrassed and ashamed to call them, they're, right. they're useless. So, you know, be that voice against uh, against that stigma attached to mental illness that just needs to, needs to go away. Uh, Gabrielle has another question. I'm I haven't read it yet, but I'm just going to read it out loud. Uh, outside of ending the stigma and helping those with SPMIs gain access to clinical help, what else do you think uh, those in the community do to help uh, either create awareness of mental health issues or help those who do suffer from an SPMI? Uh, so basically, it's, you know, what what role does the community have? Uh, Look for opportunities uh, to to volunteer, um, whether that's at a food pantry, a homeless shelter. Um, if you have the means to do so, uh, there's, there's local charities, there's local nonprofits um, that can always use the financial help. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, is just sharing your positive attitude, um, you know, not, not being a party to, oh, look at that person over there. You know, don't, don't let that stuff slide. Um, when you hear it, when you see it, call it out and and just be that example for other people um, that we're all human beings. And, you know, I, I've said this a, a couple different times, but 
you know, I want people to be just as comfortable saying, oh, what are you doing this afternoon? Oh, I'm going, you know, to my counseling appointment as you would be in saying, oh, I have a doctor's appointment, you know, right. that, so just being that, that example for other people, the biggest thing you can do. All right. Thanks, Gabrielle. She's a big fan of ours. Uh, she is. Thanks, Gabrielle. She was asking questions the last time and doing it again this time. So, um, all right. Um, I'm just going to finish up uh, just putting out those numbers again um, for our crisis hotline, um, Tuscross County. Uh, that's 330-343-1811. And in Carroll County, um, it's 330-627-5240. Um, more information uh, on all of our services uh, can be found at our website, which is cmhdover.org. Um, I also want to throw out there that um, the COVID-19 uh, epidemic is, sorry, pandemic, uh, is, is still, uh, with us. And, and, um, we are doing at the health center, community family health center, which is, if you're local, uh, is located behind Taco Bell off the Boulevard. I haven't met anybody who doesn't know where that is. <laughs> um, we are doing, uh, antibody tests, uh, to see if you have had it in the past. Uh, we're also doing the nasal swab tests, uh, to see if you have, uh, the infection currently. So those are being offered at the health center. Um, we can get you in pretty quick. Uh, the number over there is 330-365-1781. Um, and just call up and, and we'll get you in uh, for an appointment there. Um, and I will say, uh, if you have an, own a business or, or are in the HR department or anything like that, uh, we are teaming up with some businesses to do uh, employee uh, tests as well. So um, give us a call at the health center, uh, and we'll give you more information about that. Um, we have also started, thanks to uh, the Get Level Podcast Network, uh, to post our uh, audio versions of these. Uh, and we have basically what's turning into a podcast uh, of some sort. Um, and you can find those. Again, I'll post the link uh, to our page. But if you go to the, the Get Level Podcast or getlevelpod.com, um, and you'll see a number of um, uh, local um, agencies also have uh, podcasts on there. Uh, I know the Anti-Drug Coalition is uh, very active. Um, Josh All, who's the owner of the operator of this uh, uh, network, uh, has a pretty good Browns uh, <laughs> Browns podcast. So uh, a lot of good content out there, uh, both uh, ta tackling serious issues and also the Browns, which is not a serious issue. <laughs> Or maybe it is a really serious. I was going to say not video. hard to do yeah. from what I've heard. <laughs> so, uh, I'd like to thank everybody for uh, joining us today. Again, if you have any other questions, uh, you can always email us too at contact at cmhdover.org. Uh, uh, we're going to sign off. Um, and thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.